Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. So, uh, welcome to the pod. Uh, this is not going to be the normal intro because technically uh, we had already recorded the podcast. Uh, and we did. We recorded an hour and 40 minute podcast and we got finished. And about 20 minutes later, RJ Barrett extended. So, I am going to react to that news since it was not just a straightforward extension. We got a lot of additional reporting uh, on details regarding not just the contract, but also how this might impact Donovan Mitchell trade talks. Uh, but I want to start with the contract because um, this is what it's about. It's about R.J. Barrett. That is the primary story here. And so R.J. Barrett gets a four-year $120 million extension. That is only if he hits all incentives. Okay. Uh, so four years, $120 million is the maximum value of the contract. Um, according to Ian Begley of SNY, uh, this, the, the incentives, I'm just going to read off his tweet. Bonuses for RJ Barrett's rookie extension are tied to all-star selections, selections to the three all-NBA teams and NBA all-defensive teams. Sources tell SNY. Sources confirm RJ Barrett's extension is for four years and worth up to $120 million, including those bonuses. ESPN first reported this is probably going to come in around something like four years, 108, as the guaranteed portion of the deal. Um, just for comparison's sake, when Jalen Brown signed his extension, he got four years, $107 million guaranteed. Uh, the bonuses took that up to $120 million. So, very, very comparable contract for RJ Barrett, which I think is appropriate and quite frankly you know considering where the cap is um when rj has signed this extension in comparison to where it was when Jalen signed his uh you're getting a pretty i don't want to call it a discount uh but let's just say that i suspect if he had waited all the way until uh the end of his rookie contract and entered restricted free agency i feel pretty confident somebody would have rolled the dice and given him a max. Um, but it did not come to that. So the Knicks have agreed to this extension. Uh, it is worth noting that because of the lower dollar value than the max that it's at, it will make agreeing to an extension before he hits unrestricted free agency, uh, which would be in 2027. Uh, it will make that very tricky, assuming, assuming again, um, that he has become worth uh, worth significantly more. Uh, we'll see where the cap is at that point. It's it's all very boring and mundane. I'm sure if you want to know the minutiae and understand that, um, Jeremy Cohen will have a very fantastic primer for you at some point soon. Uh, that being said, as a fan, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited because the Knicks have not extended a first-round pick since Charlie Ward, which was 23 years ago. Um, it, I, I don't know how to explain this. I tweeted this last night. I don't know how to explain this to other people. And I think, like, look, there's been a lot of, oh, my God, I can't believe the Knicks are paying R.J. Barrett 100 whatever million. You know, he's not that good, blah, 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 blah. And, like, whatever. I don't even want to – I don't even care about that part of it. But I think it's very, very hard for any other fan base to understand what it is like 
and how miserable it is and how much it absolutely fucking sucks to not re-sign anybody you draft, especially in the first round. Look, we, we re-signed Mitchell Robinson finally this year, but he's also the first rookie we have re-signed, or rookie contract guy we have re-signed, player that we've drafted, that we've re-signed since Charlie Ward, okay? So quite literally, for 23 years, the Knicks have existed in the draft, but they have not actually used the draft even once to land a long-term foundational piece, a building block even. You know, forget foundational piece, but just a guy who sticks with the team for a while. They haven't drafted a player like that in 23 years, basically, or drafted and extended a player like that in 23 years. So that is tough as a fan because you're not just rooting for the laundry. You want to be invested in players. You want to be invested in guys that you see grow and develop and flourish with your team, and to literally never see that for 23 years is extremely difficult as a fan um, on a lot of levels. So the fact that we now know R.J. Barrett has extended, we know Mitchell Robinson has extended, these guys will at the very minimum start the season in New York, it is very nice. It's very nice. Uh, I am pumped for it, and um, again, as a fan, I am just extremely pleased that this, uh, the proverbial monkey is off our backs as Knicks fans. Uh, okay, now let's get into the, you know, this was really like the headline news of, of it all yesterday, which was really disappointing. Um, I think, you know, when a guy signs an extension with a team, uh, at, at least the initial reporting and the initial focus should be on celebrating that um but it wasn't because you know we had Woj uh immediately you know look I- i'm gonna find the Woj tweet here but he basically like in the first tweet it became all about ramifications on donovan mitchell uh so i'm just gonna read it off uh new york next guard rg Baird is finalizing a four-year work extension blah blah blah, blah, blah. complicating the franchise's off-season trade pursuit of Utah Jazz All-Star Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he went on to say that because of the poison pill provision of his contract, if again, just know that it makes salary matching very, very hard. Uh, RJ also cannot be traded for the next six months, so whatever. Um, because of the poison pill provision, it makes trading him very hard in a Donovan Mitchell deal for salary matching purposes. This is the crux of it here. Uh, New York's Leon Rose set a Monday night deadline with Utah to reach an agreement on a trade for Mitchell or the Knicks would commit to the R.J. Barrett extension, sources said. Knicks-Jazz closed gap on deal points in recent days on a Mitchell trade, but neither would go further. Barrett's extension ends a remarkable remarkable 23-year drought for the Knicks. He's the franchise's first draft pick to agree to a multi-year contract extension after his rookie deal since Charlie Ward in 1989. Um, I... Think there's a lot to unpack here. So, it, and and I guess look, we, we should cover all of the little tidbits we've got. Okay, so again, uh, take the, all of this right because everybody is getting is sourced from somewhere, and sources all have their own specific reasons for saying things. So, but take this for what it's worth. Uh, in addition, so that we have all that stuff from Roach, right? Um, then we have. This from Begley, which I thought was interesting. 
the Jazz had coveted Barrett in trade talks centered around Mitchell, as SNY reported. Some Knicks decision makers were open to moving Barrett, but team president Leon Rose obviously decided against it. Um, again, we don't know which decision makers. We don't know what. I do think it's noteworthy. He's this, he, he specifically noted Leon Rose has obviously decided against it. Um, he goes on to detail some of the um, discussion points in the deal. Uh, so I'll read these off. Earlier this month, people briefed on the talks were pessimistic about a deal getting done if it didn't include Barrett. The Jazz had been seeking draft compensation that was seen as beyond the Knicks' comfort level in packages that didn't include Barrett. Even with Barrett in the deal, the Jazz would have wanted one player from the trio of Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, and Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, you would think they'd want all three of those players in a package that didn't include Barrett. I think that is definitely worth noting. Um, still, it would be an exaggeration to say the Knicks' pursuit of Mitchell is dead at this point. Uh, with the Cavs pulling out of Mitchell talks, there doesn't appear to be any suitors who can approach what the Knicks can offer, even if you take Barrett off the table. Uh, until another suitor emerges, the Mitchell trade is still the Knicks' to lose. Okay, that is all wonderful. I, I basically agree with all that. Uh, but I'm going to read out the final thing. Uh, Jonathan Macri, in his newsletter today, he said one source told him that the Knicks' final offer that included RJ was RJ, Fournier, two unprotected picks, and three protected picks for Donovan Mitchell. Apparently that wasn't enough. Again, I I don't know how accurate all this stuff is. Um, again, sources say things. Let's go piece by piece. Um, let's start with the Macri thing. If that was the offer that they were comfortable offering, I would say this. I think that's too much. Okay? Um, I get the unprotected picks, also, but offering three protected picks on top of including RJ Barrett in a deal is a bit much to me. I also, look, I just as from a pure emotional stand or fan, sorry, uh, emotional, I guess you can say I'm a stand, uh, emotional fan supporting standpoint, I would have hated to make a deal including RJ in any capacity for Donovan Mitchell. Um, that said, if it had been RJ and two unprotected picks, I think I would understand that. Uh, I wouldn't feel great about it. I would, again, I, I would be hurt, but it makes sense. I, I get why you would at least be comfortable with that. Going three protected picks on top of that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, in terms of how would this affect RJ Barrett, obviously he would have some knowledge that the Knicks did at least put him on the table uh, for Donovan Mitchell. Um, look, this is the business. Players as good as R.J. Barrett, players that are better than R.J. Barrett, have been put on the table in trade talks, right? We have Donovan Mitchell. He's on the, tra he's on the table right now in trade talks for Utah, for, for the Utah Jazz. Um, he can go through. Jalen Brown was offered, you know, he was potentially on the table for Kawhi Leonard. He was also offered this summer for Kevin Durant. Like, this, and that is coming off of a finals appearance in which he was arguably the Celtics' best player in that series. So it, it's it's tough. Look, this is this is the business, and I'm not saying you know if if RJ feels a little hurt by that, he's well within his rights to that. That's completely fine. What I suspect and I trust in RJ to do is I think he is shown a lot of maturity and mental fortitude in his time in New York. I don't think 
this is something that's going to linger in terms of impacting his effort, his commitment to the team, all those kind of things. Um, now, is it something that down the line, when he's getting closer to the words, the end of, end of his contract, if he's still in New York, that it might play on his mind? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And maybe that's something that you have to, you know, massage and work through and kind of ease over the years. Uh, Boston is obviously dealing with that themselves in terms of uh, with Jalen Brown. There's a risk that there's been a lot of rumors anyway that he might leave. Um, although, by all accounts, he's happy in Boston. So it's this is not a situation where, like, guys can't be happy just because a front office considered trading them. But I do think it is something that they need to be conscious of and that they need to work 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 on him with um you know over over time it doesn't need to all happen at once so um i think that's that's something that needs to be mentioned uh i also think the knicks have committed this dollar amount to rj barrett on paper as of this moment he is now the highest paid player on the team that is a commitment that does that does show a level of trust that they're placing on him to be a franchise cornerstone type of player for them, especially since it now takes him off the table in Donovan Mitchell trade talks, which, again, Leon Rose apparently set a deadline. Ainge called his bluff, and Leon was like, okay, then we're going to extend RJ, just like I told you we would. It can't stop there. You are now invested in him. You have to make sure you're putting him in the best positions for him to be. To maximize not just his output, for but for that output to also help optimize the team's performance. And that brings us to Julius Randle, who, look, let's be completely... I, I, people can feel how they feel about it. Um, I know there are people that believe in Julius, that, that think a bounce back is coming, that think he can turn it around. I'm not one of those people, Okay. Uh, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't think his play style makes any sense, especially with Brunson here now. Um, and personally, I would prefer to have a lower usage guy at the position uh, who is more comfortable playing in a less on-ball capacity that Julius, at least in New York, hasn't shown at all. And I know, I don't think it's just about, oh, you need to have, now that he has a true point guard, it'll be fine and no, I think that's bullshit. Um, I, I still struggle to see Julius being comfortable deferring to RJ or Brunson for that matter. And um, you know, again, and and forget just it's not just RJ, right? You've committed also this money to Brunson. You brought these guys in. You brought him in for a reason, right? Because you think he can help improve your team. You kept RJ on this contract for a reason because you believe that he can, you know, progress and develop and and really become a. Quality wing, two way wing in this league. If you want these guys to be the best versions of themselves, both of them are really at their best going downhill, attacking the rim. I, I'm sorry, I just think Julius needs to go. That's just the reality of it. And um, if that means you got to attach a protected first to him or something, okay, so be it. You know, so be it. Like that, we can't sit here and and want to win the value transaction on. Uh, win the value on each transaction. Okay, You cannot always end up on top in every single move you make. And yes, will it be an admission of we fucked up giving him that extension? Yeah, it will be. But I'd rather admit that and move on and and put 
the rest of the team now in a position where like it's not it's not even just about Arjuna and and Brunson but like the entire team just makes a lot more sense and quite frankly is a lot more dynamic and appealing to me if Randall is gone that's point blank very simple that's how I feel about it so um we'll see what they do i feel very strongly that they do want to move Julius Randle, right? We, there are reports from the Lakers athletic guy last week out of nowhere that, oh, yeah, uh, the Lakers aren't interested in Julius Randle. Then we also saw a report that the Knicks were unwilling to attach draft compensation to move Julius Randle. I don't think those reports come out of nowhere. They would only occur if they were at least having discussions about moving Julius. So um, I would say don't take the lack of information or reporting as a lack of motivation to try to move him. I think they are motivated to move him. I think they want to. We'll see how bad they want to and how much they value it um, because I think they should value it quite highly. Uh, I want to get back to something Begley said here, uh, that even with Barrett in the deal, the Jazz would have wanted one of Obi, Quentin, Grimes, or Quickly. Uh, you'd think they'd want all three of those players in the package that didn't include Barrett. I think that's just total non-starter for the Knicks. Um, regardless of whether you think they're overrating or underrated, they know they need bullets in the chamber. They need assets in terms of picks and players if in that they have available to them in a post-Donovan Mitchell trade world because they rightfully will need to they rightfully believe they will need to eventually trade for another guy probably better than donovan mitchell we're going to be completely honest about this uh and you cannot get that guy unless you have these guys these younger dudes who even on their second contracts will be entering their prime or in their prime whatever it is uh available to trade and you need future unprotected picks and all these things. You're going to need that stuff to eventually make that move. Um, and on top of that, like you also just want to keep the... Look, the, the odds are, right? Let's be completely real here. The odds are against any player uh, of achieving all-star, all-NBA status, right? The Knicks' best bet for somebody on their roster to pop in that way is to keep guys like RJ, OB, Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel quickly keep as many of them as they can. And if the price that Ainge is setting inquires depleting both significant portions of your player pool and your pick pool, then it is a non-starter. It cannot happen. It would be a joke if it happened. And at least, even from the reports, uh, you know, even from the package that uh, Macri reported as the Knicks' top offer, like, they wouldn't have done that. And it seems that Ainge wants them to do that to make any deal. Um, you know, the reporting being that even if like, he wanted a Quentin Grimes attached in a deal with R.J. Barrett, and even on top of that, he would have wanted another unprotected pick or two, that stuff is it's not feasible. It, it just makes no sense for the Knicks to do it. You know, especially for a, a player who, as good as Donovan Mitchell is, is not worth that. He's not worth that level of organizational capital committed to him out the door. Um, so we will see where that leaves us. Um, I think, I still suspect he ends up in New York. 
I still I don't buy that they will not talk now for a while or that the Knicks have totally shut down talks or that the Jazz will walk away. Look, these teams want to make a deal. Okay, They want what the Knicks have. The Knicks want what they have. It is about finding a middle ground that works. Um, it is not a, and this is the this is the difference between Danny Ainge and most GMs. It's not about fucking over your opponent in the trade. It's not about fucking over who you're working with. Not an opponent, because trades shouldn't be seen as with an opponent. They should be seen as with a partner. It is not about fucking your partner over in a trade. It's about finding a trade that achieves what you want and that satisfies your partner's needs in that, in the, your trade partner's needs. And yes, sometimes you can obviously get more value than, you know, than you can win the value of a trade. Um, but like, generally speaking, the goal is that both parties need to come away satisfied with what they're getting. And in Danny Ainge's case, he operates on a wavelength where he sets a price point, and that is the price point. And if you do not meet it, that's that. He's not going to budge. He's not going to... And his price point is well over market. Okay? And I get it. He's flying high after the Gobert trade. You know, he should do what he thinks is best for the organization. But at this point, the guy's been shopping Donovan Mitchell all offseason. He clearly has no intention. He doesn't want to keep him. He wants to trade him, and he wants unprotected future first-round picks. He wants specifically the Knicks' unprotected future first-round picks. Um, it's just not going to happen. They're not going to go for unprotected. Maybe they'll go three unprotected and Quentin Grimes, and that's the deal. Maybe that happens. I don't know. I have no clue. Um, but what I do know is I think we can feel somewhat confident that whether you agree or disagree with them even putting R.J. Barrett on the table in a trade, that they viewed him at least in a light where to them, his inclusion warranted them not... He's worth enough to them that going anywhere beyond a couple of unprotected first-round picks um, was was a non-starter. And I think that is the accurate value currently of R.J. Barrett. He has a chance to go beyond that. He has a chance to be an awesome player in his own right. He's got to make steps as a finisher. Uh, as a decision maker on the ball, all these kind of things. He needs to improve his game for sure, but he has the chance now. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I just, Danny Ainge is a disgusting, just a gross pick slut, uh, absolute disgusting individual to deal with. Um, he will not budge. It will need to be three or four unprotected first round picks, almost certainly. Can the Knicks get one from somewhere else? Can they work a deal? I I came up with one yesterday where it I think it would satisfy all parties and you know with the Lakers and all these things and we talk about it on the pod uh, you know after this that you'll be listening to with Prez but uh, I don't know I I have no idea I will say that regardless again we talked I touched on this just a little bit ago with Randall but regardless of whether or not the Knicks re-engage on Mitchell trade talks or if they're truly done or whatever, they still need to consolidate this roster. They have too many guys. They need to open up minutes. They need to open up roster and rotation spots for dudes like... I mean, look, a lot of these young guys that they have still on the roster, like Quentin Grimes needs to be playing more. And look, I think there's enough reporting now to suggest that if he's still here on opening night, he's going to be the starter. Obi Toppin needs to play more. 
flat out. Emmanuel quickly needs to at least play the same amount he did post-All-Star, which was about 26 minutes per game. Um, and he needs to be given the same responsibility. Like, I like Derek Rose. I think he's been a really good influence on these younger dudes. They seem to have really enjoyed playing with him. I'm not very interested in retaining him. Um, I'm just not. I, I don't think we need to. And um, I think quickly has grown to the point where we can move on. But if he is here, I don't, to me, he, I, I don't care. It's still on Tom Thibodeau to figure out how to get Emmanuel quickly about 25, 26 minutes a game at the absolute minimum. Um, OB, again, we talked about he needs more minutes. Whether that means you have to move Randall and whatever that costs, so be it. If that means, you know, Randall's minutes get drastically cut, so be it. I don't care. Um, and look, they traded a protected first-round pick for Cam Reddish. This is a front office that has shown that they very much care about value. If you trade that kind of... Look, a protected first-round pick isn't exactly the most insane asset value, right? But it is an asset out the door, and it is an investment you made. At some point, it behooves you to give that investment a genuine chance to earn the minutes um, and, and, and to get an extended opportunity, which Tom Thibodeau stupidly did not allow last year. And then when he finally did because of injuries, um, you know, Cam got hurt in a very freakish accident after that. And he was actually starting to look really good. So, look, all I'm saying is that, and, and look, the, the Cam and all and Obi Top, Cam and Obi Toppin are very athletic in ways that are extremely different from other people on this roster. And the way they move in the open floor and all this, like, it's very different. I think they give the Knicks an athleticism that they don't quite have anywhere else on the team. So those are guys that I personally think if they're still here opening night, they need to be given opportunities to play extended minutes. Uh, right? And then you have the Jericho Sims probably buried as a third guy, but that's okay. Like that's a little bit more reasonable to me. He's a guy you got in the fifth with the fifty eighth pick in the draft last year. I think at some point Mitch or Isaiah Hartenstein will be moved and that will open up an opportunity for Jericho Sims. Hell maybe Jericho Sims goes out in a trade um, as a, a valuable little trade chip for another team that, that moves the needle to get an upgrade elsewhere. I don't know. All I'm saying is the Knicks have too many guys who are rotation player caliber in the NBA, and they need to move off of some of them. Uh, I'd prefer if they move off some of the vets to keep their to keep some of these younger dudes uh, and to open up minutes for them. So we will see what they do. Uh... <sighs> I think that about covers all the angles here on that. Um, you know, as far as my reaction to it, again, pretty excited. Let's see what happens. Uh, all right. So without further ado, we will uh, get to the rest of the podcast. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pot Strickland. I'm your host, Twenty Poo, and this is episode two hundred twenty-three. I am joined by somebody you're very familiar with, not by my co-host Stacy, who is still on vacation, but I am joined by 
other co-host, Prez, who skipped on his duties last week, is atoning for his sins today. Prez, how are you doing? Surprise, motherfuckers! Taking over for Stacy forever. <laughs> He's gonna stay in India and enjoy his family time a little bit longer. So. uh I'm just assuming he's there to see family. He could be there just having a fucking rager by himself for all I know, actually. You never know. He's a man of many talents. This is true. Uh, All right, but before we get started, I need to make an announcement that the Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You get the bonus edition this week because he's on for Monday, too. Uh... You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele every other week. The Doug Bag. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never, never, never stops. There are further tiers. There's a non-dart here that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, or I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get wonderful premium articles, weekly articles from Jack Huntley, Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the biz. Also, guest pieces, uh, Jeffrey Rasmussen had a wonderful one last week. Check that out. Uh, there are further tiers. There is a $15 tier, $30, 50, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings and merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast one day alongside yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, Donovan Mitchell still has not yet been traded to the Knicks. Um, so, that is a thing that, unfortunately, uh, needs to be discussed again. Just like I was hoping would be the case. <laughs> I love talking about Donovan Mitchell and hypothetical trades. Um, I'll just start with this. All right, look, I... Look, we've all been coming up with fake Donovan Mitchell trades for a long-ass fucking time. Uh, everybody has their own version of it. Even me, and I hate coming up with fake trades. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not fun. Um, this is mine. I think it's pretty good. I actually don't know why any of these teams would say no to it. I guess the only one... Wait, real is- quick, real quick, before you say yours. Since the last time we recorded, was that Mark Stein report before or after? Uh, which one? He's just like, that, like, a, a increasing certainty about the Lakers probably being a part of this transaction. Uh, I I'm pretty sure it was after that. Um, okay. So, look, I know multi-team trades are usually not the norm in the NBA. Uh, for a variety of reasons, I actually think it's very likely this ends up being a three or even a four-team trade. Um, I came up with a four-team trade. Involving the Knicks, the Jazz, of course, uh, the Lakers, and Indiana Pacers. So I'm just going to go through this very, very briefly before we get into it. This is the one I proposed. I'm going to take out one very small, tiny piece that I highly doubt will move the needle, but we'll talk about it. All right. The Knicks get Donovan Mitchell and the legendary Wenyan Gabriel, uh, UK legend. Um, yeah, I think that's that, that's it. That's it. The Nations get Donovan Mitchell and Wayne Gabriel. The Pacers get Derrick Rose, Kendrick Nunn, and two protected firsts from the Knicks. The Detroit pick and the Milwaukee pick, both were acquired this past year for the 11th pick overall. Utah gets Russell Westbrook's 
gigantic, massive expiring contract. Quentin Grimes. And they get two protected, unprotected first round picks from the Knicks in 2024, 2026. It could be 2023 and 2025 if they so want. I would assume they would prefer the picks in the even years, but whatever. Um, but yeah, so they get those two and they get two unprotected picks from the Lakers. You might be wondering, why would the Lakers do this? Okay, the Lakers get Boyan Bogdanovich, Evan Fournier, Miles Turner, and the Washington, the protected Washington first-round pick from the Knicks. Uh, in the version I posted on Twitter, I also had them getting Miles McBride. After thinking about it further, I don't think they would necessarily want or need McBride to make this deal, and I think the Knicks could actually use McBride in this scenario. So I'm cool with that. Um, I'll just run through this very, very briefly. The Knicks end up shaving $6 million off their cap. The Pacers end up adding $1.7 million, but they're way under the cap, so I doubt it matters to them. Uh, the Jazz shave $561,000 off their cap. If Miles McBride is not included in the deal, the Lakers would add just $1.4 million to their cap sheet. The tax hurts them a little bit, but not too much at that number. Um, I'm just going to explain this very, very... Because I had a lot of pushback from this. People are like, why are the Lakers getting so much shit from this? The Lakers are getting shit from this for a very, very specific reason. They happen to be, through sheer circumstance and luck and absolutely no forward planning on their part, they happen to have two things that make total sense to consummate this deal, right? What do the Knicks... What has been the holdup in this? The, from everything that's been reported, what does Danny Ainge want? What does Danny Ainge ever want? All he wants are disgusting, gross, unprotected first-round picks that he can jerk himself off to. Uncut, yeah. untouched, that good, <laughs> good, unprotected shit. Yeah, he's he is he wants the picks that might give you STDs. Okay, that's what Danny Ainge wants. He is a disgusting man, and I hope nothing positive happens for him. Um, that's what he wants, though, okay? So the Knicks, rightfully, rightfully, have not been willing to go more than two unprotected picks from all reports that we've seen, right? The last report we had was from The Athletic, where they said the Knicks made an offer of Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, two unprotected picks, and three protected first, if I remember correctly. Um, okay, so this that, that doesn't get it done. How can you get unprotected picks? How can we do this? Oh, I know. Let's call up the motherfucking Lakers who have no way of acquiring talent other than this Russell Westbrook and two unprotected first in 2027-2029 package that they keep shopping around. Through, again, sheer circumstance, the Knicks are like, okay, we need your unprotected first so that we can get down to Mitchell, and you need us to just give you players that are like functional in NBA court. Okay. And I would say, I would actually say it's even, even more than just functional, right? Because initially what we heard was the Lakers goal was they want to hang on to two picks either for themselves as a hedge against, you know, like 2027, 2029 is pretty far out. LeBron's probably going to be retired by then. Anthony Davis probably going to have no knees, right? Like who knows what's going to happen or. Why, for why, Kyrie, why is why is AD <laughs> catching strays on here, man? Jeez. Look, man, this is it. Just it's, he's not even that old. What is he like? Twenty? How old is he? Twenty nine. Yeah. So like, he's if he's still playing by then, like regardless of what shape is in, like kudos to Anthony Davis. So let me retract the stray. You're right. 
that would be very impressive if he's still playing in 2027, um, even in a bench role. He's a big dude, and he's been playing for a long time. So, um, yeah, so that, like, they have very good reason to not want to trade those picks. And, you know, they were like, we only want to trade, we want to save those, at least the rumor said we want to save those for a Kyrie Irving deal because if we're going to give up valuable unprotected firsts, it has to be for a real needle-moving trade for our current championship window, which I totally understand. And, uh, you know, like, say what you want, but, like, they if you're not going to get two unprotected picks worth of star, right, whether that's Kyrie or, like, DeJounte Murray, then that means if you're not going to get one player worth two unprotected, then you have to get a lot of quality depth, right? Like guys who could be starters. And I think in your deal, you're talking about Derek Rose, who he can't start from a pure minutes management perspective, but as a per minute impact well, well, guy. Well, Rose, Rose wouldn't. So I like, I. Oh, no, you have Rose rerouted, right? Yeah, Rose, Rose goes to the Pacers. The, the Lakers end up with this, right? They get Bogdanovich, they get Fournier, they get Miles Turner. Okay, that gives them two elite shooters. Okay, yes, they are slow as molasses on defense, but those guys are going to be able to shoot the fucking ball and they're going to get great looks because they're going to be playing with LeBron James. Um, they also get Miles Turner, the best fake stretch five big man ever. But and a also, great defender. like Yeah, exactly. Like a really, really good defender. Somebody who makes a ton of... like We know Anthony Davis doesn't like playing center for the majority of the season. Okay, And he's best on defense. Like, I know a lot of people love like, oh, secret weapon, small ball, AD5. Like, I... I don't like that. I think he's much better defensively in the Giannis role where he can just be a gigantic roving like hurricane who's seven feet tall and athletic on top of playing with a good center, right? And like we one thing like the Lakers have had some weird rosters over the last couple of years, but they generally seem to know how to run out of solid defense if they have the players and I think one thing they really lacked last year their defense wasn't bad or anything it was the only thing they kept kept them somewhat respectful but like they didn't have like at, at the guard spots and the wing spots they were kind of small it felt like right like yeah, it, they, didn't, they didn't have NBA players last year like if we're just gonna be honest like Russell Austin Russell, Reeves is a good defender but he's like he's not the biggest yeah. guy and it's like they had Russ, who is Russ just, is not a good defender and I don't even I don't I like genuinely I just I was never a Russ fan, but like watching him at this point is it's just like it's it's rough. Can you just retire, dude? Like, please, for everybody's sake. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's Malik Monk, our son. Not a he is, He's not the best defender. Not, who who did they even have on the wing last year? They didn't like have wings last year. That was their problem. They had like they had to have somebody who was above six five, right? <laughs> they had like Kent Bazemore and Stanley Johnson and Wenyan Gabriel, and it's like. These guys yeah. are not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Avery yeah, Bradley. Gonna... They had like Avery Bradley. Like it's like twenty twenty two. All right, Avery Bradley is over. Exactly. So like this is my this is this would be my pitch if I was going if I was arguing for this in the Lakers war room or whatever it would be like if you have AD LeBron and Miles you're pretty much like you're guaranteed to have a very good defense even if you have molasses slow dudes like Fournier and, uh, no, and no but here and here's the they're still big. And here's the other part of it. Like, they actually would have a rotation now because you have Beverly, okay? You, That's right. You have That's Reeves. Right. You have Reeves. 
That's two very good yeah. defenders. And and like I don't know, Lonnie Walker is he's just like wild card, just like yeah. a random upside play, which is cool. It's just fine. That's so that that this trade right where you add Bogdanovich, Fournier, Miles Turner. It's some okay? stability, so you don't have and, to depend on the mystery box. Well, yeah, you have these three guys. You had in Beverly. You added Lonnie Walker. You have Austin Reeves coming back. You have LeBron. You have AED. That's like a pretty. Those are like two stars, right? And then you have Turner, who is not a star, but is like you have two way good player. Yeah, two way good, really center. good player. And then you have like four dudes who can just play NBA ball and can shoot the ball. Two of them can really shoot the ball. Beverly can like sometimes shoot the ball, and Reeves used to be- shoot the ball until like. Some weird shit happened his last and year. And Beverly and Reeves can, like, they can lock up. They're, like, yeah. legit. Yeah. yeah, they'll defend. So, like, I think, like, <clears> this, and he, and the other part of this is, like, people are like, well, why would the Lakers give up two unprotected picks for this? You re-signed LeBron James, right? Like, that, that is something that happened. Um, I am, mis- I'm going out on this, uh, a limb here. I don't think LeBron re-signed without some guarantee of, like, we are going to use these picks to upgrade the roster around you, okay? Like, this trade seriously upgrades the roster around LeBron and AD. And on top of that, I know it's a very uh, minor thing for them, but it is, you get a uh, you get a protected first to add to your very limited war chest, right? Like, like I actually think the Washington first, um, that's the one you posited going to them, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, so back after the draft, um, if... Listeners, go back and look at my post-draft article. <laughs> I went pretty deep into the protections because, I mean, nobody's a fucking nerd except for, I mean, we're all different levels of Knicks nerds, but, like, I, even most hardcore Knicks fans on Twitter's on Twitter probably can't, like, rattle off the protections or whatever on the different yeah. picks. And TLDR, the, the Wizards pick, is, like, as far as protected picks go, it's not, like, the Bucks pick, which is basically... Like, the worst protected picks are the ones that have a high probability of becoming second-rounders. None of the Knicks protected picks are like that. But the next worst after that are the ones that you know are going to be, like, 25 to 30 because their team has, like, Giannis and other All-Stars or whatever, right? So, like, but that's what the Bucks pick is. But the Wizards pick, there's a decent chance... It conveys this year. There's a decent chance it conveys next year. There's some range and variability in it. So it's not like an unprotected pick, of course. It's not like a top three protected. But as far as run-of-the-mill protections go, it's pretty solid. It's not a fucking fake first or whatever you want to call it. it. It'll so, convey. It'll convey at some point. In all and like, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, like, that's... And that's it's the Wizards. Come on, man. It's, it's a trade ship for them. So, like, I think this is, like, a very reasonable trade to me. Um, and, and people were like, I, I had a lot of other people being like, well, the Knicks are giving up a lot. They're giving up too much. And all I have to say to these, I, what I really want to ask people, right? Cause this is ultimately what it boils down to. If you want Donovan Mitchell, okay, let's, let's start with that premise. There are a large group of people who do not want Donovan Mitchell. I would be completely happy if the Knicks came out tomorrow and were like, we love our team. We are not trading anybody on this team for Donovan Mitchell. Let's go. Like, if that's what they said, I'm happy with that. Let's go. Let's just move on with our lives. But I'm assuming that the Knicks do want to get Donovan Mitchell. Why? Because it seems pretty fucking obvious they want to get Donovan Mitchell. If you want to get Donovan Mitchell, is it safe to assume that you think Donovan Mitchell is very good, Prez? Is that a safe assumption to make? I think so. 
Okay. So if you want to get Donovan Mitchell, who is a 25 and 5 player, basically, you know, all kinds of offensive firepower that he gives you, blah, blah, blah. Okay. If you want to get this guy, if I told you at the draft that Utah called up the Knicks and was like, hey, give us Grimes, Rose, Fournier, the 11th pick, and two unprotected first, would you have done it? Yeah. And that's kind of how I've been viewing the unprotected firsts element of it is like because of what we did on draft day it's basically like the unprotected they're they're kind of like house money almost well that and they are literally that is literally the trade here that's mm-hmm. literally the trade it is quentin grimes it is evan fournier it is Derek rose and it is the three protected first that we got from the 11th pick and two more future ones i think i think if the knicks had pulled the trigger on on a trade on that exact trade on draft night, I would bet major money that the approval rating on a move like that would have been like 75, 80%. And like, I get it. We've sat through two months of like hearing about these stupid negotiations and Danny Ainge being an annoying piece of shit. And all, you know, this, it's, it's, it's annoying. It is very annoying. And it, it creates bitterness, and you want to get one up on all these guys. There is no way you can tell me the I, like me the the biggest you know I like as much of a skeptic of Donovan Mitchell as anybody else. I think this trade is like if you like him, you have to do this trade. If that if this is what you have to give up, and that's all you have to give up, you have to do that trade. And like I I know in the version I posted on Twitter I had Deuce McBride going out too. I don't think you need to add him. So I took him out in the version I just talked about on here. Um, if for some reason the Lakers are like, we will not do this without Deuce McBride, okay, we'll have a conversation. Maybe we need to get a second round pick for them. Whatever the hell it is, I just think like this the 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 package of like I don't mind giving up Quentin Grimes and Rose and Fournier as players. And I don't mind giving up the protected picks or two more unprotected ones to get Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, the whole point is we we have excess depth at the guard. That's that's the whole point. Like Fournier and Rose are good. So is Grimes, but like there's just not enough minutes. So what is the situation in which you can flip them for the most value? It's a trade for an all-star and it is what it is. And like, I could like, how, you, so I, I would, you know, I would say that, I probably would feel like they sh- there should be less Knicks protected picks going out. But I'm again, like I'm not gonna if that was the reported trade, I'm not gonna like make a big fucking deal over it. It's just like those guys are good, and you could probably get for some combination of them, you could probably get protected firsts at some point in their tenure. But right now is the point in their tenure where you can use them in a star deal. So, like, it's almost a wash in that respect. It's not that I don't think you could flip Rose or I don't think you could flip Fournier. I think they're good. And unlike most people, I don't think they're negative contracts. But, you know, there's there's value to, to using that now and value to clearing up the log jam. So I get that. And then you get to keep... Um, yeah, not that, like, I've, t- I've told you, the, you this a lot. I'm not super focused on what our roster looks like next year. 
yeah, after we'll, we acquired Donovan we'll, Mitchell. But we'll, we'll talk but, about that because I strongly disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. And, but, yeah. Well, well, I'm. We, this is like the the perfect segue, unless you want to get back to the trade. But like, no, I don't. Really you know. you get you keep your wing depth here, which is important. I mean, Fournier is like kind of a wing, but like he's also he's also slow, right? So uh, that works a lot better when you have like Miles Turner and Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But keeping Cam, keeping Obi, two guys who have high upside, higher floors than people want to act like, you know, youth. And clearing a runway for them to play, clearing a runway for more value for all your young players, whether they're big or small. Like, those little wins, they seem marginal when you're talking about, like, protected picks and and all NBA candidates and shit like that, but... But they add up, right? Like, who was it? Was it Pelton? Who was like the little wins in transactions over time just add up to to good teams? And I I think this proposal of yours, even though it has some on its surface things that seem odd, that's just kind of how multi team deals are. A lot of the times, it's like, well, that that seems too good, right? But like, as long as it's too good for all the teams involved, then it doesn't really matter, right? Like. The Lakers get a shit ton of valuable depth there. Okay, but they're giving up two unprotecteds, which is enough to get an all-star. Like, the Knicks are giving up, what, five picks, including two unprotecteds, but they just got three of them shits, all the unprotecteds, so whatever. That's like, yes, protected picks are worth a lot, but they also just fucking houdini three out of their asshole, like, (laughs) two months ago, so whatever. And... This is why they did that. And then, you know, like we've said on on here a lot of the times, like, obviously they signed Fournier and Rose to play good basketball for them, but they also signed them to take them from one point in the life cycle of a team to another. And that seems kind of, like, meta and weird, but, like, I don't think there's a lot of people in the media, you understood this, but there's a lot of people in the media who cover these guys and they don't understand that they're like, why are they trying to trade these guys? If they just signed them, you know, Oh, they must be bad. Like that's not it. They signed them because they wanted flexible, tradable deals. who could help them on the court, but wouldn't be like, wouldn't cost to move. And this is them being, this is as much as Evan Fournier making 200 three pointers. This is what they signed Evan Fournier for. That's what people don't fucking realize. As much as playing great season-saving basketball and fucking improving Tibbs' mood by, like, the amount of, I don't know, like, the whatever amount of, the same amount of medication I take for my anxiety, right? Like, also, the purpose of this was to have a movable guy for a situation like this. And it's funny, when this trade, I I do think those guys are going to move whatever, whether it's something like your deal or something else. I bet you that's just going to go away. It's going to continue to go way over some people's heads. And they're going to be like, oh, they got so lucky that these teams accepted 40, eh? And accepted Derrick Rose, even though he's old. And it's just going to be like, yeah, you you people just, I'm just happy you don't work in a front office and you work for the New York Post or whatever. But um, it, it's it's a good, it's a lot. But Donovan Mitchell's like, I'm like, you know, I think Donovan Mitchell's fucking great with upside. So I don't mind. It's it's within the what I'm accepting as a very good deal for me. Like I don't think that's an overpay. They could pay less, but I'm also don't like 
this is like at this point we're talking about like the Mozgov portion of the deal, right? Like like this is just the plus or minus. So that that would be a really good deal. And then real quick, I want to talk about Indiana's part of the deal because um, I saw some people in your replies like you know different people have different takes on Miles Turner's value, but this dude's been on the block for so long that if they could get if they could have gotten to two fucking firsts from him or one first for him and a really good player. They probably would have done it. They haven't. I know this a bonus stuff kind of played into that. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Miles Turner, you're not getting more than this. You're never... And the only reason you're fucking getting this is just like, again, sheer Timing, yeah. It's just sheer circumstance. And like, you can flip rows. Yeah, like, like it's... You're getting two protected first for a guy who you've been trying to trade forever, okay? You got one protected first for Malcolm Brogdon, right? Like, so, you, look, may, look, maybe, again, like you mentioned, maybe the Knicks don't need to give up three. Maybe they give up two, and that gets the net Lakers' Miles Turner, and that's enough. And Okay, fine, maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, if this deal went out, I'd be like, okay, fine. That, that's fine. And if, like, the Pacers, like, what else are you going to get? You're going to get... They get expiring contracts, right? Rose and under expiring contracts. I think Rose would actually be good for them just to have around, like, like, look, we, we saw, like, I think... He'd be great the, with, with Halliburton. Yeah, all the young guys on our team loved having Rose on the team. Um, he, it's close to the, it's close to Chicago, so I don't think he would be that upset about being in Indiana or anything like that. Um, and, again, like you said, like, even if they make it clear, like, hey, look, we're just trying to suck this year, like... They can find a move for him pretty easily. Like I, I would not be worried about trading Derrick Rose's contract. None again, five million dollar expiring contract. Maybe he gets healthy this year and you can play him for thirty games and all of a sudden you can trade him for a couple seconds. Who knows? Like there's value for the Pacers here, plenty of it. Uh two protected first is not nothing. And um for a rebuilding team, especially that's not nothing. Like we we've seen that with the Knicks, right? Like we've seen the Knicks use first or protected first that conveyed and they have turned that into more future assets, or they've turned that into players in the form of Emmanuel Quickly or Quentin Grimes, who's potentially going out in this deal. And like, there's just a lot, lot of things you can do with these picks. Like, trade for Cam Reddish. Do you want to take a flyer on a young guy? Sure, there you go. Just take that one right there. Like, there's opportunity. Like, if you want to be real, like, the Kings traded a protected first of their own, right? A protected first of their own, but they got Kevin Herter for it. So there's value in having these protected first. Because ultimately, they're just currency to sweeten the pot to ease player transactions. And so, like, I think there's value to that for them. If they can get a better, if they can, if they really want to sit there and pretend that they can't, they can get a better offer than that for Miles Turner on an expiring contract. 
but everybody knows you're going to have to pay him in a year. Okay. And also, like, people are like, free, oh, my God, the, the Lakers get so much in this deal. Really? Like, do you really love Boyan Bogdanovich that much? You really love, like, I, I know half the motherfuckers saying that. Do not love Evan Fournier. Get the fuck out of my face with that. Like, it's just so funny, right? Like, all these motherfuckers are slandering Evan Fournier. Like, these guys are, like, they get a lot, but they're not getting a star. That's that's what fucking matters. Like, it, to, you're getting two unprotecteds worth of f- flawed role players. That's That means you're getting three very good, very flawed role players. Like, that's, yeah, sure, is that a lot? I mean, compared to what, right? Compared to... I don't know, like, just five seconds ago, we were talking about why didn't the Knicks trade fucking for DeJounte Murray, right? With, like, because he's the greatest fucking ball handler since Oscar Robertson or whatever, right? And now all of a sudden, like, Evan Fournier and Bogdanovich and Derrick Rose, or not Derrick Rose, or whatever, is, is too much. Like, I I don't know. Maybe it's different people responding, but, like, Fournier is good. He's, he can be part of a... I've said this every fucking pod. He can be part of a good defense, even if he's not a good defender. Same is true of Bogdanovich, who's been part of a fine defense. Are you going to run into trouble when guys try to isolate on them in the playoffs? Sure, but guess what? You have Anthony Davis and LeBron James and Miles Turner who can help with that. And in the meantime, both of these guys are threats to give you 60 TS and 200 three-pointers. So, like, that's not something you can just fucking stumble upon on the vet minimum. And it's perfectly in line with all of the roster construction that we've seen throughout LeBron James's career. He's constantly taken guys like that who can play just good enough defense and absolutely shoot the hell out of the ball and made them integral playoff pieces. So I this is squarely in line with how he rolls, how clutch rolls, whatever you want to say, like if this kind of deal goes down on the LeBron Lakers side of thing, this is almost like business as usual. This isn't, we should like, I wouldn't even spend time. Just, it's not like amazing. It's not nothing. It's, this is just what happens is they trade LeBron James trades picks for shooters. That's literally what happens every stop of the way. Like, why is this weird? I don't know. It's odd to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I just think like the other part of it too, I want to get to the, to Utah because for Utah, like, this is what they want. They get four unprotected picks, and they get Quentin Grimes. Like, there's literally... If they turned down that deal, I'd be shocked. Like, I would really be shocked if they were like, yo, you know what? We need one of those protected first, actually. Oh, we need Obi. We need... It's like, no, no, no. You're getting four unprotected picks. And everybody in the world knows... Like, as, like they're... The thing is, I remember when the, this Lakers package, right? When it first started getting shopped around, it, it became like a meme, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, everybody wants, you know, Russell Westbrook and these two unprotected picks that is like a fucking ninth grader and a seventh grader. Like, yes, I understand that. But like, if you're Utah, you're you've blown it up. Like your your plan is to blow it up. You're building from scratch. You want those unprotected picks down the line. And if you do this deal, you have two unprotected picks from the Knicks. You have two unprotected picks from the Lakers. That's four great unprotected yeah. picks. And you got three unprotected picks from Minnesota. And you have a top five protected pick from Minnesota. And you have an unprotected pick swap from Minnesota. Like, if you're a rebuilding team, short of Sam Pre- Actually, you know, you could even say this. They like I think those picks, if you went pick by pick and did like a value chart or something, that overall value of those picks 
at least in terms of trade and how they're perceived and projecting forward and all these kind of things, like they're more valuable than any other teams. That would be much more valuable than any other team's pick stash. Like all these picks that OKC has are wonderful and great, I'm sure. But like one of that, like oh, okay, you have a Clippers pick. And yeah, like, the secret like, sauce in, in Presti's rebuild isn't like it isn't necessarily the value of the picks he has. It's the quantity and their ability to draft well at picks that are good but not great, right? Like, that's really what it is. It's different from what this situation for Utah has the potential to be because you're talking, like you said, you're talking picks with very high variance, right? The Wolves, Laker, the, the Lakers in a LeBron-less future, the Knicks just being the Knicks, and the Wolves with their weird experiment that they have going on. Like, those are high variability in a lot of respects. So, you know, worst case, they're not that great, and you just hope you draft well like you have in the past. Best case, you have a shit ton of really good picks, and that's, you know, like you said with the, the Presti Thunder picks, like there's their picks are not as high variance. They just have a lot of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, like, I just... I, if if there's a Jazz fan out there, I'm sure that idiot Dunzad or whatever the fuck his name is, uh, will probably find my tweet and be like, "Oh my god, Knicks fans think they can get Donovan Mitchell for just four protected picks <laughs> and Quentin Grimes?" Like, yeah, dude, I I do actually think that. Um, I just don't want to give up our all of our unprotected picks to do it. Uh, I, yeah, I, I I genuinely feel like if there's one thing that is maybe not on the table, it's just like. I feel like if anything, the Knicks maybe give up a little bit too much. But, yeah, yeah. But it's like I don't know. Like I also think when you're the team that's ultimately getting the best player in the deal, um, and you're you know, the team that's getting the the like uh, addition by subtraction kind of benefits that go along with it that aren't really part of the like the on the back of the sports card facts about the trade, right? Like that's the other thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just, you know, um it's I don't know. I would be I would be fine if the, if the Knicks made that trade, I'd be completely fine with it. I think it'd be pretty solid value. Um we'll see what happens. I have no clue if they will or not. I suspect they will. And I suspect a trade will happen quite soon. Um but I do want to go back to something you touched upon that uh this is where I think we strongly disagree because for me if the Knicks, so if the Knicks make my hypothetical trade, I will be satisfied with that trade. I'll be satisfied with the return. What I will not be satisfied with is if Julius Randle continues to be on the roster when the season starts. I think he has to go. And I hear your arguments for like, you know, it's not about next year. It's a longer term thing. My next year arguments aren't. I agree. They're not more, they mostly don't apply to Julius Randall. It's more to like when I say that, I'm more in reference to proposals that are more unbalanced than yours in terms of how it leaves our roster with like way too many guards or you know, some shit like that. Like, that, like, sometimes you know, like, we've seen some proposals and it's like, oh, like, who are our wings once Julius is gone? Like, guys like RJ are gonna have to play up a position or like that kind of shit. That's the stuff where I'm like, They'll solve that eventually, but, like, if RJ has to play power forward a little bit next year, like, I'm not going to fucking cry, right? Like, yeah, but for Julius, like, I'm I'm with you. Go. Like, they, they got to, like, I wrote the whole thing about it, right? Like, 
yes, there's like one, like insert Doctor Strange meme, like one universe where it works out, but like realistically, like this motherfucker gotta go. <laughs> yeah, he does. I mean, it's just, it's not tenable, I don't think. Um, and, you know, like he is ultimately like he's, he just doesn't fit. Like, I really don't know what to do with him. Uh, and then, you know, like, look, I mean, the, the hypothetical trade that's been out there for a while is just like a Julius Randall, Gordon Hayward glorified swap, and they give us like a fucking second round pick or two or a protected first or some bullshit, right? Um, I'm fine with that. I'd actually be totally fine with that because Gordon Hayward. I'd be ec- ecstatic with that, actually. For, for <laughs> the. 30 games he plays a year, he'll be really good. Exactly. Then, and he won't play more than 30 games a year. So you'll give plenty of minutes to Cam. you give plenty of minutes. Obviously, RJ's always going to play a lot of minutes. Um, minutes like, OB, all that shit. Yeah, OB, OB starts. OB starts. Yeah. And yeah. Gordon uh, becomes the... And Cam become the backup wings. Like, well, and, you low yeah, manage him. Cool. You play and, Warcraft, whatever. And then yeah. you get over you, you, if, if they really want to do the farewell tour for Melo, fine. Give him the veteran minimum. Have him be the backup for behind Obi, and I will survive. Um, but like, it, it just all it does. Like, my only thing is though, like, because I was listening to uh, KFS Pod today, and they were talking about like, they they were talking about the same thing, where it's like, you know, whatever trade they make, if it leaves them a little imbalanced, it's not a big deal because they're not doing it for this upcoming season. They're doing it for like the long term, you know, building of a championship team. And I'm sorry, like, that I just reject because you cannot trade for Donovan Mitchell. Like, it is, you cannot do this. You cannot be like, well, we're trading for Donovan Mitchell because he's a star and we need a star and he's going to help us take the next step. And then put him in a position where, like, like the team, it, it, let's say the team struggles. I'm sorry. Like, if the team struggles next year, I promise you this, at the very minimum, right? Like, if 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 your, stand, if your stat, stance is next year doesn't really matter, then you also can't be like, okay, well, if they, like, then Tom Thibodeau shouldn't be on, he should, he should be on, um, like, you can't say next season doesn't matter, and then also be, like, super hypercritical of Tom Thibodeau's coaching and all this kind of, like, because to me, like, if it matters, then it, then, then you become hypercritical of the coaching and the decision making and all these things. But if it doesn't matter, like if we're really trying to argue that you can trade out two unprotected first or whatever the fuck you end up trading out, but like for some reason we shouldn't expect any immediate results on the court. Um, I, I don't know. There's just so much convoluted logic there that doesn't make any sense to me. Like if you trade for Donovan Mitchell, I promise you the moment that happens, you are not going to get anybody sitting out there in the media being like, oh, well, you know, they're just doing the slow, patient rebuild. Like, no, you're not going to get that. I'm not going to give it to you either because that's bullshit. If you want to do a slow, patient rebuild, you would just be like, we're not trading for Donovan Mitchell. Okay, that's it. Done deal. You know, you already have shown that you're not really trying to rebuild like that. And I'm okay with that because I understand there is a value of like, we're a major market and if we're consistently good, good players will want to come here, right? Like, I highly doubt if we were are still a shitty, like, 25, 30-win team, Donovan Mitchell would want to come here, right? Like, I, I, even if Leon Rose was here, right? Even if he's best buddies with all these guys on the team, I, st- like, I don't think he would want to come here if, they, if this was, like, a total joke still, right? The reason he's probably wanting to come here is, one, yes, the personal connections that he has through multiple people in the organization help, 
but also the fact that like yeah, like the Knicks a year ago were a playoff team. And yes, last year they missed the playoffs, but they weren't like a joke. They weren't some complete moribund franchise. They had a down year and they missed the playoffs by a few games. Like like it's there's a that makes it more attractive, right? So I get I get the decisions they've made as a front office to pursue this path. But like once you trade Redonovan Mitchell, like you're on the way now. Like you have to be judged on a higher scale of like more than oh, well, you know, they're doing a good job of like not burning through future assets like no you already you're done with that like you are done with that especially like let's be real if they trade their 2023 unprotected pick then no you don't obviously your record matters you know like i think you you have to believe your record matters then so um i just i just pushing back on that because i don't think you can like we cannot create an environment or some weird bar to measure them by where like Yet we'll credit them to the heavens if they trade for Donovan Mitchell because he's such a good player. But then if we struggle next year, there should be it's fine because it's part of the plan. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. You don't trade for Donovan Mitchell and expect to. It's like when we traded for Carmelo, right? Like the team struggled initially, right after the trade, and they struggled a lot for the part of the next year. And there was a lot of criticism going around, and it was deserved because when you trade for a player of that caliber. Like, you have to be judged on, like, okay, now we have to get results with this guy. And if you're not getting results with that guy, it says something about him. It says something about the roster you put around him. It says something about your coaching. It says something about your front office. Like, it is, you bring in a talent like this, it is incumbent upon you as a front office and a coaching staff to create the best possible conditions for his skill set to be optimized. And that is where the Julius Randle piece comes in because I think we definitely both agree on this part of it, that if Julius is here, especially with Brunson in tow and RJ Barrett in place, like that is, I, I like, I'm skeptical of Donovan Mitchell in a lot of ways, but like, I don't doubt that he can help you get from a 37 win team to like a first round or second round playoff exit, right? Like he's obviously that level of star type of player. These guys would help Julius, but Julius wouldn't help them is the problem. And the, that means the team doesn't get helped by Julius. And I guess like where there's a slight difference of opinion between us, like next year definitely matters, but it's it's not like how we were just talking about with the LeBron Lakers, where it's like, you fucking trade these picks to optimize it right now, right? So like, I wouldn't trade an unprotected first to move Julius. I would trade one of the protected firsts. Sure. Yeah, I would do that. And I would I'm... trade your child Cam Reddish to do that even do that even for him and like I think Cam has upside, but like when did Cam become my child? I don't know. He just kind of morphed into somebody who you end up like buying the upside of very much. I just over the last year. <laughs> like it's no, it's it's part of the front office's thinking, right? Like Yeah, you, I get you that. can't like if you trade a protected first for a player, then you should at some point give that player an honest to goodness chance to prove the potential that you clearly must have seen in him to make that trade. I get that, but at the same time, it's like if he's roughly worth a protected first, then say like Charlotte is like, yeah, we'll trade you Hayward for uh, for Julius, but you have to give us Cam Reddish. I'm doing that without blinking. See, like, I would just rather give them the Dallas first, though. I know, I know, but say if they're like, no, we want Cam Reddish. We want to try him out and then pay Cam Reddish because our other 
Wing is going to jail and Gordon Hayward <laughs> is broken and we need Wings who, worst case, isn't that good and we extend for cheap or best case is, is okay. good and okay. we get a good player. Okay, then I'll be like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, but yeah, I that's, want, but, that's where I'm at. But I'll be like, but I want PJ Washington. I don't think they would do that. Well, they have to pay him, so I guess you'd be just trading, like, paying one player for paying another. And but, and and you are trading for Julius Randle. They play the same fucking position. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, you could... I don't know what we would be doing with P.J. Washington, because, like... He's the backup four. He's the yeah, backup four. What are you going to do, pay him, though? Why he's, not? Like, he's going to... I mean... How much is some, he going to cost? He's not going to cost you that much. He's not going to... He's going to cost more than backup four money. Let's. What, he's what did Kevin Kevin Herter got like four years, sixty million. He's not going to get that. I think he will. Kevin Herter's a wing. Yeah, and but he, he can play stretch. Play, but PJ can play stretch five. PJ also can't rebound or play defense. But he can still credibly play the stretch five. But like these stretch fives don't go for like fifteen million a year. Like Kelly Olynyk's been a stretch five forever, and he's getting paid like ten, twelve million max. That's because Kelly Olenek isn't as good as other stuff as P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington can play the four on defense. Can and the, he? Better than sure? he can play the five. I mean, that's not like a... I don't know if that's... How much do you think P.J. Washington going to make? I think he's going to make like... What did Bamba get? Uh, good question. Let's see. Bamba got like three years 33 or something like that? Or two years 22, I think? Uh, two twenty one. And like Bamba is actually a credible rim protector. Like, like w- there's, I'm not a big Mo Bamba guy, but he's like, good. You know me, I love Mo Bamba. Yeah. I just, I just think PJ is good in his own right because he can. Well, I agree. He's, he's more versatile. No, no, I agree with that. But I don't think, like, th- think of it this way: you have him as a restricted free agent. What yeah. team is going to come in and be like, you know what? To to get him, we are going to because you have to overpay significantly, right? Like you're gonna have to make an offer that the Knicks don't feel comfortable matching. So what price point is that? That's like, you, somebody going to come in and be like, four years, 70 million. Four years, 75. Like, I don't see that. I think if you get him before restricted free agency, you have a pretty good chance of keeping him at a very good price point. I can see him getting like, he's 460. A, he's a Kentucky guy. Okay? He's a Kentucky guy. <laughs> I, I mean, clearly that matters to some degree, right? Like, like, West West would know him, um, obviously. I think the Knicks, I, I I could see the Knicks doing that if they could pay get him for backup four money. I just don't think he's going to get backup four money. I think there's teams that would be like we'd pay him sixteen million, sixteen million a year, seventeen million a year, especially with the cap going up in the future, so he could play the four and the five. I just don't think a team is going to do that. Like the he, Pist- why wouldn't the like the Pistons could do that? He'd be phenomenal with them. Well, their cap is already very weird with because um, they basically like punted on cap space the last two years to do some very weird asset acquisition. But like they also paid Marvin fucking Bagley three years, thirty seven million. Like why would they want PJ Washington now? They already got Duran. They got him. Like it doesn't make any sense. And it's also again like it's a team has to has to wait a week of free agency and feel so confident that if they put. Four-year, sixty-eight million-dollar deal on the table. The Knicks won't match it, and it's like I don't know if you can feel that confident about it. That's why teams usually don't play the restricted free agency game. Like it just doesn't happen that often. Um, because all right, so go back to the hypothetical. What if what if the Hornets said no? We don't. 
we're not including PJ Washington. Are you walking away from the Randall deal with Cam Reddish being included? So it would be. There's no way they would like. This is such a weird. Like I can't imagine. I don't think it's that weird. If they're really high on PJ Washington, then they'd be like, "We don't want to include him. We want to pay him." I think. I think it's weird that they would be like, "We won't even do Hayward for Randall straight up." That makes no sense to me. I think the argument for them doing. I think there's arguments both ways, and I said this as much to to you and Jeremy. But I think the downside, like the worst case scenarios, not even worst case, not like zeroth percentile outcome, but like like 35th percentile outcome for Julius Randle is significantly worse than the bad outcome for Gordon Hayward. Because what happens when Gordon Hayward sucks is he gets hurt and he doesn't play. And then he expires after two years. And what happens when Julius Randle sucks is he still has to play and he sucks for you. Like he affirmatively damages the other players on your team. At least when Gordon Hayward's hurt, like he's not blocking other players from playing and he's not fucking up your whole like on-court dynamic right and that's not to say julius is going to do that and not that they couldn't use some of his uh taking charge because they definitely can because they literally have like nobody who can do that aside from the mellow but like that downside it's very real and it's not like you're not talking about like outlier situations all he has to do is like want the ball, get the ball, which he's going to get because LaMelo's the only other ball handler on that team. So he pretty much know he's going to get the ball a lot, like 100% of, 100 out of 100 times, he's going to get the ball a lot on that team. So now you're talking about, like, is he going to change his play style and is he going to shoot? Maybe. But if he doesn't, he does a lot more damage to that team than Hayward, and he does it for at least three more years. So... The thing is, I think it's safe to say at this point, Hayward is a massive negative value. And he's not a negative value because he's a bad player. He's a negative value because he's just not going to play enough games. Right, right. And we know if there's one thing, there's one thing we can say about Michael Jordan, what is it? That man is not trying to lose basketball games. It doesn't matter if it's the smart thing. It doesn't matter if it's the right thing. He has too much money riding on the book. He's, he's probably bet his entire fucking $17 billion fortune uh on the over on the hornets every year uh he's not trying to lose games he's just not trying to lose games and because of that i think he would look at a player like gordon Hayward. and let's be real because of the miles bridges situation how whatever like that he's very likely not going to play for them again and they didn't pay him obviously they have a lot more cap space now or not cap space but money on their proverbial cap sheet that they 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 have more ability they have some flexibility yeah they have flexibility moving forward so if i were them i would be like okay we can keep coordinating for the next two years to do nothing or we can take julius randall who is 27 28 years old is he perfect no is he flawed absolutely as anybody who's listened to the show wouldn't yeah, I, I would take the upside bet if I was the if I was the Hornets. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, because the downside also exists, and I knew that the Knicks really had to get rid of Julius Randle. I'd be like, give me Cam Reddish. And then if they were like, and if I also really like PJ Washington, I'd be like, you can't have him. So what? Go find another. Because they're not. I mean, they might be stupid. Jordan is a wild dude, right? But like, we've talked about this. There's pretty much no other realistic team for Randall. So like 
that gives the Hornets some leverage here. It's um, it's not that unlike the Jazz situation where like there's only one game in town and like no matter what Danny Ainge and his fucking cronies say, like these motherfuckers know that. Like it's the same with Randall. There's pretty much no if your goal is to move him right now, there's pretty much one game in town. That's it. So I guess where I disagree though is like I think there is an urgency for Charlotte to do something. Yeah. Like they've done nothing this offseason. Literally they've done nothing. Nothing. <laughs> they signed code they like re-signed Cody Martin and they drafted Mark Williams <laughs> and they traded a first for a future first and for a second round pick. That's it. They That's changed it. they changed coaches after being yeah. after being broke boys. <laughs> that was it. it and and like they, they was, used all their budget on Steve Clifford that they could use on apparently a front office. <laughs> right. And I just think like no like they've done absolutely nothing. Um, and if they're going to do something, like this is a pretty decent they would actually fucking yeah. save money the next two years on this deal too, which is insane. Yeah. They would save money the next two years on this deal. So like I think they would I think they would do it. To go back to your original question, if they were, I would say no, because I'm just going to be like, I, I'll call their bluff. Really? You're, you wouldn't do this trade. You would not do straight up Gordon Hayward for Julius Randle? Okay, I'll call your bluff. And I'll sit here. I'll That's wait. the kind of stuff that, like, I I think it's totally reasonable to do for the reasons you said. Like, all of that shit. And then on top of all the other factors weighing on the Hornets, I mean, chief among them, they don't they don't tank, even inadvertently. Right? And the East got better, a lot better. The East is pretty deep. So basically, if you don't upgrade and you lose talent, which is what happened when Miles Bridges decided to just be an evil person, like he's they're they're going to be inadvertently tanking just by definition. And like, you know, like you were alluding to it, most front offices would probably just be like, eh, this is a great draft, whatever. We'll just like, we'll let our young kids finally play. Right. We got like 10 of them. But this is a weird team. And uh, I, I'm with you that they definitely have a lot of pressure on them. But to bring it back to like the beginning of this discussion, I could like say we trade for Donnie and then there's silence on a Randall deal. It very well could be some shit like that is happening behind the scenes. And like maybe we get leaks, but I wouldn't surprise me if we actually don't hear much because uh, the Knicks are pretty like Tibbs. We hear a ton from Tibbs, but we don't really hear much from the Knicks front office. And clearly, nobody hears anything from the Hornets front office because they haven't... <laughs> Not a peep. They, they, literally, they could all be, like, dead in a room and nobody would know. <laughs> like, like so So the negotiation... Like, to us, we'd be here on the pod in fucking, you know, October 5th or something. Like, where? why is Randall still here? Damn it, pounding the table like J. Jonah Jameson going after Spider-Man. But... At, but they could just be dealing with that sort of shit and we might not know. But in, in general, I, I think I agree with you. Like just given the circumstances, the weird circumstances of that team and the fact that their roster is just so disproportionately made up of young guys. Like they, they, they got lucky that miles bridges in terms of skills was ahead of schedule and LaMelo ball was ahead of schedule but this is kind of where it beats it bites them in the ass because like their rosters is kids, right? Like Mark Mark Williams is, should not be starting, and we talked about this pre-draft all the time. Like he's an awesome defensive prospect, but like it's it's just like automatically a wrap for you at a, as a rookie center. And then 
Like James Booknight, he's like twenty one. Bryce McGowan's twenty one. Uh, who's the other? Uh, JT Thor, like not even twenty one. Kai Jones, twenty two, but not good. Like who? Who Kelly Oubre? Like who? Who's who's there? Who's not? Who's not a child and also good? It's literally just Gordon Hayward and PJ Washington. And Gordon Hayward's not going to play. And PJ Washington's the kind of player who is better, the better a team you have around him. And if your team is butt, then he's going to look kind of mid, even if he's actually sneakily kind of good. So, again, like for most teams, you're like, oh, shit, our kids might struggle and we might not get many wins. Damn. I guess we're just at that part of the rebuild. That's cool. But not Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I could see them just like, who's their GM? Uh, Kupchak. Yeah, I could see Kupchak like playing hard hardball for a little bit, but then just like right before the season being, this season being like, ah, fine, fuck it, I'll do it. But because, you know, he's I don't think he's like a stupid GM or anything, but um, yeah, he knows the deal. He knows the situation. Like this is like they hired Clifford for a reason, right? And it's not to fucking shepherd the youth through their mistakes <laughs> and yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, they want to win games for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. And I just don't know. Like you said, I don't know what. There's not much at like even we can compare Julius and Gordon and their downside, but like, and this gets to your point. Like, I don't know how much what better gamble you're getting than Julius for Gordon Hayward. Like you're not getting Lakers guys, right. For taking on Russ. Normally in that situation, you trade him for picks, but like, that's not, that's just not what they're doing right now. They already have an excess of young guys who are good. So I could see it. I just saying like when that Julius trade don't hit right after let's give a, Let's give some time because there's some fake hardball that might need to be played uh, by Leon. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think for sure that's that's definitely part of it. Um, I just, uh, you know, look, I I always wonder, like, this front office has been pretty, uh, I would say, patient. I guess is one word to use, um, but they've been they've been extremely patient and that's a good thing uh but like this randall and i I was i think look if we want to talk a little bit about the reporting last few weeks um i think the the stein stuff or not the stein stuff all right yeah yeah the stein stuff but like last week there was a report from jovan buha of the athletic saying the lakers were not interested in julius randall and then a couple of days later there was a report from Stein talking about, oh, like maybe the Lakers would be interested in Boyan Bogdanovich and Evan Fournier. And I don't think that's a mistake. I feel like that is very intentional of like, it's a negotiation through the media type of thing where it's like, yeah, no, we won't do this uh, with, with Julius Randle. But Evan Fournier might be interesting. Might take him. So I think that stuff is definitely in play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Randall thing is just interesting to me because I do think the Knicks have been trying to trade him. I don't care what 
you know, people think, oh, they love him. He's their guy. Like, there was another report last week, right, that, oh, they are, uh, they won't attach draft capital to move him. Why would that be out there? Right? Like, why would that be out there? That's out there because clearly, um, they've been trying to trade him and they're not getting much, they're not getting takers. So, I I am, you know, I I think they're going to try to move him. I'm pretty sure they want to move him. Will they be successful? I have no idea. I hope so, because I really, really, really don't like the makeup of this roster uh, in a scenario where he's still on it post-Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I don't like it regardless, but I could maybe, I could be a little bit more receptive to to playing it out a bit if you don't trade for Donovan Mitchell, but I, I'm very certain they are going to trade for Donovan Mitchell, and man, I, I again, like, you know, you talk about we talked about Cam Reddish not really getting a chance after they traded for him. That that just puts Mitchell in such a bad spot, and it puts the entire team in a bad spot because, like you talked about, and you wrote about, it's just you're asking way too much of an adaptation from Julius, and it it goes beyond like we're going to change how you get your shots to like you're not going to touch the ball as much, and that is a very very tough one to sell. Um, and if you are if you're going to sell it. I don't think Tom Thibodeau, offensive guru Tom Thibodeau, is the guy to the guy to do it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I agree. I just as much as I think we have to do it, I just think the limited number of teams being willing takers for a Randall Gamble being one team essentially. Like I just, in theory, you're right. They have good reason to do it, but. All it really takes is like one or two prominent Hornets front office members who are like thoroughly in tune with what happened with the Knicks and them just being like, I don't give a shit. He was toxic to them. I'm not going to put him around our young guys and he's not going to play the kind of defense that Steve Clifford needs us to play. I'd rather try to get defense and floor stretching and no off the dribble stuff out of PJ Washington than try to squeeze blood from a stone out of Julius Randle. I don't think that's like an unlikely, like I think there's a decent chance that people in the front office think that. So when we can't move him, if we can't move him because the Hornets don't want to play ball, like we get, say we get some reports that like, ah, they tried, but Charlotte was like, we really need to get compensated, blah, blah, blah. Like I would not be surprised if that was true. Like I just wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, if it's not if it's true, that's fine. The again, like I just for me, like it it has to go hand in hand. If you trade for Donovan Mitchell and Julius Randle is still here, I consider that a failure. Like I just do. I'm sorry. Like I it, maybe and maybe I'll be completely wrong. Maybe Julius Randle will still be here, and this team comes out and everybody is sharing the ball and it's beautiful basketball and everybody's laughing and high-fiving up and down the floor. The stupidest part is it doesn't even have to be some type of like Spursian basketball utopia. It literally just has to be like, Julius, you're not going to have 30 usage. Shut the fuck up and accept 23 usage. And when you have a mismatch, just fucking kill the mismatch and don't dick around with like eight pump fakes. Like, it's like I wrote in the article, like nobody would say Drew Holiday or Andrew Wiggins are bit players in their team's respective offense and that's pretty much what they would be asking julius to do is like yeah some days you're gonna get like nine field goal attempts other days you're gonna get 20 and that's just how it is 
Like, it comes and goes. And in the meantime, just take the open shots you have. If you make them, cool. If not, like, that sucks. I wish you would make them. And try on defense. And that's that. It's, so it's not even asking for, like, some Spursian utopia. Do I think it's likely that he buys that? Or that, like you said, that Tibbs is a good salesperson for that particular change? Not really. I mean, I don't think... I don't think there's any... I don't know who... I don't know if we have anyone there who would be the person... And I kind of alluded to this. This was the part of the article that I wish I could have written a little differently. But like, I don't know... Who will be who if we have somebody who is the appropriate person to deliver that message? Because I don't think Julius will get that on his own. And you know, on some teams it's a coach, on other teams it's you just know because the other guys are Steph and Clay, right? Like obviously Andrew Wiggins is not going to have thirty usage. <laughs> like, but even even on a team like like the Bucks, right? Where compared to other superstars, Giannis plays less minutes and actually shoots less. Chris Middleton has a pretty fucking high usage for somebody who gets nowhere near the respect of like all these other all-time Hall of Famers who he's basically in that tier in terms of like how often he shoots and the style in which he shoots. But, you know, Budenholzer is a very good messenger and Drew is also pretty self-aware, right? Because he's been on different kinds of teams and stuff. So like, I don't think it's likely, but I guess where we differ is like, for you, it's like, too bad, not grading on a curve. You should have dealt with that shit by nipping it in the bud last year. And now I'm not, I'm not giving you a better grade this year just because you didn't do your job last year, blah, 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 that kind of shit, which is fair. I just think like, I'm from the Brock Aller perspective, I guess, like, if you can't, if you can't do it, you can't do it, and your team may suffer next year. How much they may suffer, you know, it depends. It could be, there's a wide range there. It could be a clusterfuck, like you said, or it could be like a surprise. I don't know. And you that's that's the consequence you get for not having this sort of thing dealt with already. But, like, I don't, there's nothing, there's only so much that, in terms of actually proposing offers and shit like that, that they could do. And I'm not going to say that just because they weren't able to fix, they weren't able to offload him now, largely because of how they handled him last year, that that should stop them in any way from moving for Donovan Mitchell. I would, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, it's more like, it's cool if you want to trade for Donovan Mitchell. You just have to get Julius. Like, and if that's what, it, if like you talked about this, like if if that means you have to give up your protected first to you got to move to move him, so be it. I don't care because you yeah. Are, if we if we end up hearing that like oh they didn't want to move even like the Bucks first for Randall or something, then I'll be right here on here fucking raging with you, bro. <laughs> yeah, because it's like to me at that point you're putting asset value over yes. the, the yes. value of what you've already put on your roster because and there's a cost to that like like i'm sorry i don't want to sit here at the start of next season and see rj being a floor spacer next to randall because no matter what think the way to think of it is this 
let's say you love Julius Randle and you're very skeptical of R.J. Barrett. Even in that scenario, like you're not benefiting from it because it's not it's not a good situation for either of them, right? Because those are the two guys that are going to be affected the most if you get Donovan Mitchell after you already acquired Jalen Brunson. Right? Yeah, 100%. and and so like there's only space for one of those guys to be here as a third option. I would say that RJ's game is much more conducive to being a third option uh, than Julius. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, like, when we say third option, it doesn't need to mean, like, you have to, like, it's always you as a third option. It could be, what if RJ comes back... It's literally like we were saying, like, it's like Andrew Wiggins and Drew Holiday. They're the third options. Like, some days, they're the fucking guys who are like, give them the ball. Like, it just, that's how it is. Right. And so, like, it's, that that is one thing to consider for sure. Uh, And and so, like, I, I don't know. I just, this stuff is really... This Donovan Mitchell thing is just very weird for me in that sense. <laughs> um, because, like, I'm not the, the highest on him, I wouldn't say. But, like, I get it. Like, I totally get why somebody would be. Um, and so, like, if you, if you, again, if you just, if you're going to go trade for the guy, then make sure that you're putting him in a position to succeed. Because if you trade for him and it's the same fucking shit again, of like, well, like, you know, if if you're dealing with the same thing of like, well, Julius is a problem, Julius, like, okay, but you're not doing anything about it. You're just making excuses, right? Um, and I don't know, I whatever. It's it is a very interesting situation. We'll see yeah. how it plays out. So one thing, like the all the 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 Hornets Randall stuff got me thinking. Like I. Also, shot out the rare Perez fake trade. Um, where did I put that shit? Uh, and basically, it's, there's no Pacers. They can get uh, upgrades through another way. And uh, in in my deal, they only give up one. The Lakers only give up one unprotected first, and they get Derrick Rose, Bogdan, Kelly Oubre, and Deuce. Um, so they get help. They don't get the center help which is definitely very important to them and rightfully so. So I could see them being like, uh, if this somehow prohibits us from getting Miles Turner, then sorry, Prez, we're not going to do your trade because that matters a lot when I don't even know who there's, who is their center. I don't, <laughs> oh, Thomas Bryant. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Thomas Bryant is yeah, wholly that's... unreliable. <laughs> this is, this is like another reason why, like, I think they would do the yeah. trade that I suggested. Cause it's yeah. like, the it, the difference between Miles Turner and Thomas Bryant is just it's yeah. a gulf, a yeah. gulf. <laughs> it is a canyon of national historic monument proportions. Um, but ignore that for now. Uh, Derek Rose, Bogdan, blah blah blah. Uh, Jazz take Russ, take Mason Plumley or whichever Plumley that is. <laughs> take Quentin Grimes, take the Lakers pick, take some Knicks picks. Um, uh, and the difference in my deal. It's a Randall deal. So Randall goes to the Hornets and Hayward comes to the Knicks, like we've been saying. But I also have Fournier going to the Hornets in exchange, sort of in exchange for Oubre. Um, you can pl- you can switch Bogdan and Fournier and instead have Fournier going to the Lakers and Bogdan going to the Hornets. My reasoning was really like kind of what I said what I articulated to you that like, I don't think, 
I think if there's certain kinds of people in the Hornets front office, you would need more than just a one-for-one swap for them to be like, yes, this is a slam dunk. I'm doing this. Let's play. I'll do it right now as part of your largest transaction. And I think that's giving them more win-now firepower, straight up. And whether that's Fournier or Bogdan, the advantage of having Bogdan is he's probably a little better at at offense than Fournier overall. And he's only have a year on his book, so you could do something with that money next year. Um, you could earmark that for PJ Washington. You could fucking sign somebody else. I don't care. If you have Evan, you could just have a good player locked up for a reasonable price and have somebody you know is going to hit 203 pointers next to LaMelo every year for the next couple of years, which is also pretty cool. So I think they could do that. Um, the Lakers wouldn't accomplish their center goals, but they would definitely accomplish their other roster goals. Like I know they have Pat Bev and they have Austin Reeve, but D Rose is better than both of those guys when he plays, particularly on offense where the Lakers need more help because they don't have anybody who penetrates and doesn't suck, i.e. isn't Russell Westbrook. <laughs> so, you know, Oubre is kind of just there along with, a what's his face, Lonnie Walker as just like, not a mystery box because he kind of sucks, but like if you can deploy him strategically for one year, then that's a win and he comes off the books. They get Deuce. Deuce doesn't matter for them. I, like you said in your deal, I could see them just being like, fucking keep Deuce. We don't care. He's not going to play over Pat Bev and Austin Reeves. No, so the the fun thing with, the, with that too is like if you keep Deuce, now Deuce has a lot of fucking minutes available to him. You know what I mean? Like, this puts you in a position, like this puts Tibbs in a position where he is going to have to play Deuce. He's going to have to play Cam, you know. And like as a front office, if you truly believe in the players that you pick, that you drafted, and have developed, like this is the type of bet you have to make. And obviously, the bet is easier to make when you're all sitting down than fucking Mitchell. Like it would be awesome to have off the bench, like yeah. And and you know what? Like we've talked about a shit ton on here, right? About how. If you're IQ and you see them get Jalen Brunson and trade for Donovan Mitchell, how does that make you feel? But like, if they move out Derrick Rose and they're basically like, bench is you, you were the bench, you get to run the show, and you lead these guys on the court, right? And you get to get some minutes with your homie, yeah, Donnie, because you know that's going to happen. With those three guards, they're just going to like rotate, rotate, rotate. Even Tibbs will do that shit as long as Rose is gone. Yeah. And so, like, it'll be like, I, I would love to see a bench unit where, like, with IQ and fucking uh, Deuce and Cam and, and Gordon Hayward, like Tib, like let's also not forget, like Tibbs would be ecstatic to have if you brought him this offseason, fucking Donovan Mitchell and Gordon Hayward, he would probably just like pass out in ecstasy if you did it in one transaction, if he didn't know ahead of time. Yeah, and and I mean, look, he wanted Gordon Hayward when right his first season here, but like even if we didn't, like if. Let's just say they were like, you know, what, we're sure. only we're going to give you Kelly Oubre and Miles Plumley or some shit like that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, like Kelly Oubre can fucking whatever. Like, he go. just exists for a year. Cool. No, nah, he he can go home for a year. He'll, he'll kill the runways and the 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 walk to the court with his uh fashion. Yeah, but like like if it's just if if it's IQ, he'll make RJ Barrett fits look like hobo fits. I will definitely have to pay attention. <laughs> uh, if it's just like IQ Deuce Cam. 
and Hartenstein is like your main guys off the bench, that's fine. That's that's great. a fantastic bench. That's fucking fun. And again, like like that is something now where I think it doesn't feel like you traded Donovan Mitchell or traded for Donovan Mitchell, and now it's like all about trying to like consolidate pieces and win and compete right this minute. Like obviously that's part of it, right? Like that again, we just had an extended conversation about it. But as a fan, you can look at that and be like, okay, well, like they're not totally ditching, like, right? The they're doing both at once. Yeah. So, like, I, I would be pumped for that. I think they would probably be. I, I, again, like, I really can't see. I don't think the Lakers are gonna be like, no, man, we need Deuce. I think they'll be like, yeah, that's fine. You can keep him. Like, LeBron probably has no idea who Deuce McBride is. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, who? You know, as soon as they <laughs> trade for Deuce, though, he's gonna hit them. Deuce is that Deuce is him, right? Just yeah. like he does for all the young guys on the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> THT is him. That's probably the kind of hype that Deuce needs, if we're being honest. <laughs> Deuce just needs a coach. Whatever LeBron did with Austin Reeves, that's what he has to do with Deuce, because like he can just learn from like Pat Bev and Austin Reeves how to just be that like dog role player. Yeah, I mean the thing with the with Deuce is like, and just like, not with LeBron in general. Like Reeves was an older rookie, That's and true. like, yeah, I just I don't know. The Deuce thing is, look, he doesn't need a hype man. He just needs Tibbs to like let him do more than just like dribble, like not dribble and just stand in the corner for like three minutes a game. And if he doesn't make all of his shots, he's like immediately right. pulled. Even if he's not driving, like he just needs a coach who'd be like, yo, if you have an open shot, just fucking chuck. Because yeah. that's what they let him do in the... Obviously, it's different in the G League, but like he's a really good shooter. So like even if he never develops the ability to drive, you know, he can provide value just by having volume from three. So I, I think that'll be his uh, his ultimate destiny is like he'll pop whenever a coach realizes that it might not be here. It might not be in LA or Charlotte or Utah or whatever, but like I hope it, it works out. But yeah, anyway, like if you can do this deal, if the Lakers play ball, and the advantage to the Lakers playing ball here is they still retain that other unprotected first. So for they can still use that in a transaction maybe to get Turner. I don't I don't know the mechanics of that, but like that's still available for them in, in my configuration because Rose Bogdan and Ubre is good, but to go back to the metaphor we used before, it's not too unprotected. First, good, right? Like Miles Turner is with Bogdan and Fournier. So they still have a little bit of flexibility for a secondary transaction there, be it Miles Turner or someone else. They have improved guard depth and wing depth. Um, and pretty much the only other question they'll have for their offseason would be what they do with the second, if anything, and their center rotation. And then the Hornets would have, they would be able to give Jordan a shooting wing and Randall to go with LaMelo and PJ and whoever else is still there. Um, the other McDaniels bro. And I don't know if both Martin twins are still there or one of them. The good one, of them one. is the, the one there's <laughs> one of them is in uh, Miami. The other one, I think Cody's in Miami and Caleb is in Charlotte. They got one of them dudes, and uh, they're both solid <laughs> as bench players. So, it's, like, it's the opposite. Cody's in Charlotte, Caleb's in Miami. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, like, 
you know, if, if, if the Hornets have an annoying person in their front office, or if Kupchak is the annoying person, then that'd be my pitch to them is like, look, like we were just talking before of that, like you're not getting better value for for Hayward than Randall, then you're damn sure not getting better value for Hayward than Randall plus Bogdan or Fournier, who flawed as they are, can hit 60 TS and 203 pointers at any given in right. any given season, like between now and age 40, as long as I can walk. <laughs> like, right, right. So hopefully, like, you know, like you said, at the very top of the pod, you know, four team deals are pretty rare. Um, but given that the baseline of this is three teams and we can pretty much, there's not that much mystery in the framework of a three team deal, right? It's like leftover role players go to the Lakers, Lakers kick in something as far as picks go and move Russ to the jazz. And then you just color in between the lines, depending on the other contours of the trade and depending on the fourth team, you know, maybe it's the Hornets or maybe it's the Pacers. And there's probably other teams that might make for good fits as well that I'm not even thinking of. But, like, I really wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a four-team deal. Yeah, well, I mean, why not? Um, it just makes so much sense. It definitely could be. Uh, I, I just, like... I- I just this trade just needs to happen. Uh, we've been talking <laughs> about this shit for like what feels like two months now. I've talked about every possible angle of Donovan Mitchell's existence, and like it's not even a player like I really love. Like I, if it was like you know, if it was like Brandon Ingram, I'd be here on here like every fucking pod. If it was like the Anthony Mountain, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be the best. That'd be the best two months. Yeah, so we're gonna talk a little bit today about screen navigation on the pod. And uh, what makes D'Anthony Melton a specialist? Oh, like, it's not fun talking about any player for two months on every fucking pod. That's not even on your team yet. That's the other part of it. He's not even on the fucking team. He's just, like, somebody we believe is going to be on the team. But we're like, are we sure? Is it going to happen? Do we know? We don't know. Um, it'll be, I don't know. I, I, It's hard not to get excited at times by, like, the possibility because he is a really exciting offensive talent. But, like, at the same time, you're just like... I'd rather not talk about this as a hypothetical anymore. Just right. No, or don't. It could be fucking LeBron James, and like I'd be tired by now. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, yeah, he's all right. He's he's pretty good. We'll see what he does. <laughs> yeah, call me when the trade is consummated. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like if there's anything else you want to discuss, um, here's the floor for you. It's pretty, <sighs> pretty short for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. Like, August 30th is tomorrow. Training camp is, what, in a month? And you know, with a lot of teams, guys come to wherever their training camp is early. So hopefully this shit just happens sooner rather than later. Um, Oh, you want to know what I did want to talk about? Because I didn't get to talk about this very much in the last pod. And since you're here, and since we only... (laughs) We only ever talk about him uh, when you're here. Uh, I want to talk about how hilarious it is that Kevin Durant went running back to the Brooklyn. I think it's so funny. Um, I enjoyed it. It's like, how are you a superstar in the NBA? Because he is a superstar. There's no denying that. He's absolutely a superstar. Superstar of the NBA. Demand trade. 
tell tell the owner, yeah, no, you got to fire the coach, fire fire the GM. And then two weeks later, you're like, yeah, no, actually, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to come back. It's great. It'll be perfect. It's just, it's just like chef's kiss perfect Kevin Durant. Like, I, I can't even call it ridiculous because it's just, this is, like, I'm surprised neither of us really, maybe we did and I don't remember because I don't remember what we talk about in this offseason, but, like, Donovan this Mitchell. is just, we talked about Donovan Mitchell. This is just, like, perfect, impulsive, like, my immediate comfort first, Kevin Durant. Like, I'm give me a fucking trade, choose between the coach and me and my guy, and then I you sit down. Right, I'm a fucking business mogul, and then you sit down, and it's just like, you know what? This is cool. <laughs> this is this is the thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm so smart. Like, nah, this is what we doing now. This is the new wave. This is the new move. This is fantastic. What do you mean y'all couldn't see it coming? Get on my level. Like, well, I just think it's funny because. To me, it's, it's it's funnier than that though because I think I think he genuinely wanted to go. I still think he's going to get traded at some point. Um, by the way, I don't think this is like anybody that thinks this is now everything is perfect. There is a moron. Um, it's now just on like normal star trade timetable, which is not after one year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even think I think it's just like look, we've talked about this extensively, but like whatever you look. Whatever you think about Kevin Durant as a player, let's say you think he's top, the best player in the NBA, top three, top five, whatever the fuck you think he is, it's pretty obvious that regardless of how good a team might think he is, mm. he's thirty-four years old, AC or Achilles rupture, um, has missed a lot of time obviously since the Achilles rupture. He did not have he had a terrible playoff series. I mean, like a very very bad playoff series against. Boston. I think it's hard for teams to be like, yeah, let's give up a bunch of shit for Kevin Durant. And I don't think he expected that. So once it happened, and and I kind of get where Brooklyn's coming from, where it's like, look, like we got like one offer right from the Celtics that was anything close to what we would want for you. Mm. Like, there's just nothing we're getting. We're not trading you. And like he, you know, like this is the difference between him. And somebody like LeBron, right? Because I think if LeBron went this route, he would have found a way to get the fuck out. It would have happened. Like, it just would happen somehow. Um, I don't, like, LeBron is, or sorry, Durant is just, like, not built in the same way in terms of, like, he, I don't think, I don't think Durant is stubborn, right? I think he's, like, I don't want to say, he's very whimsical, so, like, Whatever is in that moment in his brain, he's like, okay, this is the thing. This is the thing I'm going to do now. Like, this is definitely the right choice. And in actuality, like, it, it's so he's like, he wanted out, and then he kind of like couldn't see where it was going to happen. And now he's walking it all back and it's just like, yeah, like, yeah, we released a joint statement together. But the thing is, he clearly had to have asked. He, he like, the, the thing that he, like, right, he demanded that Marks and Nash be fired, right? That happened, like, whatever, a few weeks ago. That, like, is a definite thing that happened. Because remember when Josai randomly tweeted, like, I stand with our guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so I got to like, all right, so, like, so that, that happened. I just, it doesn't matter what they say. Like, you can't do that. 
and go back and everything is cool and you're like we're gonna do this last dance thing like no it's not it's it's still fucked up um i still think he's gonna get traded at some point but it does say something about what teams think about the value of trading for him currently given things beyond just like how good he is at basketball but you know his health how old he is blah blah um and i think also like it just shows that he has no understanding of how to really use the 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 leverage he does have as a star star player to kind of push the boundaries in the way that lebron would yeah he just he's not he's not as calculating he's more just like it's so funny, like his Twitter bio for since he was like a teenager was I'm a do me and I'm a chill. And that's literally like the perfect encapsulation <laughs> of his personality and how he just goes about his his work in the NBA and not not on the court, but like, you know, deciding where he wants to ply his trade and all that. And it's it's as funny as it is odd. And it's like weirdly admirable, even though it results in like no championships for it, or like the one championship. But like, it he's he's just truly is committed to just doing it how he does it, and he, that's just how he's gonna roll for better or for worse. And you know what he did by just going back to the Nets was was just peak peak KD man. You can't couldn't couldn't make that shit up. This is too on the nose. <laughs> uh did you watch the uh and one documentary? Oh, I started it. I'm not finished with it. It uh I was funny, I was watching it with my wife who like does she doesn't know anything about and one and in the intro she was like, Man, they're talking about like rap music and New York City and street culture and all that shit. This is like a perfect documentary for you and I was like you have no idea how much this influenced me as a young child. <laughs> You're like crying. <laughs> Dude, I got so many and one stories. Like, my favorite is, you know, I, I went to the tours back in the day a couple of times just because it's easy to get to them in New York. And I got a, I had a bunch of the mixtapes. And one of them I got signed by a couple of them by um, AO and Air Up There and my mom... She taught in the South Bronx, and she was she was. Like, I, th- I thought you were about to say like you went with your mom to the N one tour. She would have went, but yeah. nah, I went mostly with my friends. We were like shitty, annoying teenagers. I'm sure she didn't want to go, and but she was at a school, and you, you remember back in like the day in schools when the school when it's like late in the year and the teachers aren't teaching, they just like wheel out the fucking yeah. big ass TV. TV, yeah, with the VHS, VCR, yeah. yeah. So she borrowed it without <laughs> asking. Half the kids watching this are like, "What's a VHS?" I know it was a different time in the uh, in the early two thousands and late nineties, but uh, she borrowed it. I forget which volume it was, three or four or some shit, and they all enjoyed it. Except she fucking left it on her desk, and then one of those fuckers stole it, <laughs> and I was like devastated. I was like, "Ma, there's an autographed and one mixtape. You took it to a school in the Bronx, and you left it on your desk." What did you think was going to happen? And she was like, oh, I thought it was just a basketball tape. And I was like, God damn it, mom. <laughs> it's, it's life. It's more than it's more than that. It's more than who. I have fond, such fond memories of not only like going to watch them, but just like literally just trying to imitate all the shit. Just trying to do all. Even when I was in, for people 
listening who don't know, I'm from New York City, but I went to fucking popped collar ass boarding school for high school. I have fond memories of just like fucking around on the sidewalk, even in high school, just doing mixtape moves with the homies in front of in front of people and just trying to like do all the cool moves that would actually be travels in real games. And <laughs> it just it just holds such a special place in my heart. And the documentary, the first half of it is all the like good shit, right? Before like the downfall. So I didn't get to the depressing part yet. But you definitely learn a lot of behind-the-scenes shit. I wish it was longer. It's only an hour long. Um, but you, you learn a lot of stuff, particularly about the white dudes who are, like, the founders of the actual business itself and, like, how they got into it, which is pretty cool because I didn't know that much about it. So if you haven't checked it out, uh, it's pretty cool. Definitely go check it out. Especially you, you kids listening to this shit. If you were born after 1993, then... Watch that shit. Stop listening to 18 Nick's podcasts per week and dedicate one hour to watching that shit. Um, yeah, no, I watched the entire thing. It's really good. Uh, the depressing part isn't like that depressing. I, guess. I mean, it is depressing in the sense of like, you know, obviously it's just sad the way it kind of I mean, it immediately just collapsed mm-hmm. in on itself. Nike kind of fucked them over and they fucked themselves over in some ways. Um, but like yeah, I mean, that, the and one thing was, like, I don't even know how to describe it, because it was its own, it, 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 like, there's nothing like that now, and there will really never be anything like that, um, because it was just so unique, right? It was just, like, it was literally just a mixed, <laughs> it was a mixtape tour, it was, like, okay, right. this, is, this is the thing that's happening, it's, like, I don't know, it, it, like, there's no basketball shirts like that, and, you know, I forgot watching it, like, I forgot that their shoes were like a big thing for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, dude. They had some cool shoes and uh I remember the shirts in particular. Oh yeah. I still the got sh- one. I wish I had one, man. I know motherfuckers are probably selling them shits on like stock X for like a hundred dollars really annoyingly, but um Mine has like a hole under one of my armpits. It's like really the collars just <laughs> worn out. But I'm like, yeah. Nope, you can never... keep that joint until it disintegrates <laughs> into like it's... fucking toxic materials. Oh no, it's it's the one that says, "Uh, it's like, oh, you got something in your eye, my jumper." <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite memes is like sometimes on Twitter, people will occasionally circulate fake and one shirts, but they're not with the shit talk of back in the day. They're with like very like gen z like dark humor like oh like it'll have the and one guy and it's like if i don't make this shot i'll kill myself (laughs) (laughs) shit like that (laughs) which i would buy but that'd be kind of like i feel like that's too much bad juju to just wear that to the court in real life that's only good for a twitter meme i don't want to i don't believe in that stuff but that's flying too close to the sun so i'm gonna leave that to to the the 90s babies and all that but um yeah i'm looking forward to to the end of that, um, next time I go out on the court, I might uh, do some more spicy shit just to uh, pay who, homage. Who, who's your guy? I mean, my favorite was Hot Sauce, just like everyone else's. Like He was... In the early going, it was definitely Hot Sauce. Um, I love the professor later just because he was skinny and he was also like super famous. Um, later, later after that, um, Bone Collector, who's still going strong oh. and it's, it's just a great YouTube follow. I mean, Instagram follow just to see him embarrass people, even 
even he's not old. He's just he was young back in the day, is what it was. Um, I used to enjoy watching Escalade before he oh passed away, God. just because he was, was fucking crazy. enormous. It was ridiculous watching es- Escalade. Was insane. Yeah, all the <laughs> all the guys who could really dunk, like Air Up There and Black Widow and all that shit. It was just. I always felt like they never got the love because all the all the crossover guys got the love, but like they could pretty much just throw the ball wherever, and one of these guys with like a forty inch vert would just do something crazy with it. So well, they were just like the unsung heroes. <laughs> Spider was was crazy with that. He had, he had a good yeah. That was he was fun. I liked him. Uh, yeah, I mean everybody liked hot sauce the best because it's hot sauce. I vividly remember one episode where they were like. I mean, it probably happened multiple times. There's one episode, right, where they're just, like, walking down the... Because they had the show. So mm-hmm. walking down the street, like, you know, whatever. They dribble the ball, because that's what they're doing. And there's, like, this random white bro. He's, like, 25-year-old bro who's, like, leaving work. And he's like, oh, man, that shit would get picked in the league. Uh, and they were like, they like, what would you say? And they're like, I like, you know, they, like, caught him out. They're ready to, like, like, all right, yeah, let's try and pick it right now, then. And he actually did. Like, he actually ripped one off. And they were all just like, oh, my God, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> I It's funny. Like, occasionally, like, particularly in the later years, right, when, um, I, I mean, I'm sure they get into this in the documentary when it splits into, like, two companies or whatever. And then, like, you know, there would be that, because that's what everybody would say. Like, what would happen if an NBA play? Because you still had NBA guys going, not necessarily to the tour, but they were still doing all the same shit you see in the off seasons now. Like Drew League existed back then. So mm. did Rucker. So did, um, whatchamacallit in Maryland where, uh, and DC where, where Durant played, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but like, so we, we had, we knew that like all these fucking guys in the NBA, like many of them had this same kind of handle, particularly the stars. And we also knew even as kid, at least like, me and my friends knew, we knew like, yeah, most of the reason why these guys aren't in the NBA is probably because A, they're short, and B, the ones who can jump really high can't do the other stuff, and the ones who can do the other stuff can't jump really high. So what do you what do you expect? Like even back in the early two thousands when you still had the the like Steve Kerr archetype point guard still in existence, like the whole idea was yes, those guys may not be able to do everything, but the one thing they can do they're the best at, which is just make jump shots and I'm sure these and one guys are very good at ball handling, but they probably can't make jump shots like that. So it's very, and then, you know, we all saw Rafer in the league. So, you know, this wasn't, this guy was a bench point guard, right? My favorite Rafer Austin hi- highlight is him slapping Eddie house in the head. Oh it's not God. even a basketball highlight. <laughs> like he made his headband do a 360. So like if this is Rafer, who's like skip, who's one of the best, streetball guys and he's like barely coming off the bench so like we we knew what it was so it doesn't surprise me entirely that if some intrepid youngster on the sidewalk you know locked in for a second versus hot sauce he might be able to get one steal and just call it a day (laughs) yeah no for sure it's just it's just funny though because like when you're watching it you think like these guys are fucking you know they're like the fucking best um, I mean, and they are amazing, so don't get me wrong. But it's yeah, like, it's more just the yeah. opposite side of the coin. Like in terms of handles, people don't realize how good the NBA players. Like you, re- everybody's like, "Oh yeah, Kyrie, Steph Curry." Like Jamal, uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, those guys are like greatest handles of all time. But like, I 
I have one particular clip I like sending to people. I think I post it on Twitter like once a year, every year for like 10 years. There's a grainy clip from like the early 2000s. It was probably filmed on like the first Motorola Razor of Ben Gordon on the Bulls just doing dribbling warm-ups. And it literally looks like CGI fast forward. Like he's dribbling the ball so fast, so effortlessly with his fingers like all over the place between his legs around his back. And I'm like, this is Ben Gordon. His handle's not even that cool in the game. So I'm like, you see that. You see stupid videos of Shaq fucking around versus Michael Jordan with, like, dream shakes and, like, tween hezzies. And I'm like, okay. It's not that the hot, that the A1 guys don't have amazing handle. It's that these guys also have amazing handle. And anybody who's played with really, really good players, like D1 or, like, semi-pro type players... Like, they'll tell you that. Like, I, I've met old guys who, like, couldn't play in the NBA and play professionally in other countries. And they're, like, 50 years old, kicking it in the gym. And all of these guys, even though they can barely walk without pain, have completely, completely batshit crazy handles, even at, like, retired age. So it's just, I I, I think one of the reasons and one was so crazy is back then, most people didn't know that. So you see the... You knew Iverson, but you see these guys do it, and you're just like, it becomes a question, like, oh shit, like maybe they are better than the NBA guy. It's like part of that mystique, right? There's no Twitter, there's no, you can't look up a zillion clips on YouTube. So that mystique was definitely part of it, and that was another thing I enjoyed about the first thirty minutes of it was like, it really was a true viral campaign before viral internet campaigns existed for sports and yeah 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 that's like mind-blowing yeah it's it's it and the thing is like when it when it happened it just happened like you didn't realize it was happening right and then all of a sudden you're like wait these guys have a show on espn (laughs) i'm like this seems cool like i didn't question it (laughs) yeah i was like i guess this is normal this is fine um but yeah i mean it's it's awesome documentary is fun it's only like an hour and 10 minutes or something so uh if you're a hoop head definitely check that out uh all right i think that's a good place to end this prez let people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug uh you can find me at underscore presidente on twitter i will plug the and one documentary and i will plug house of the dragon which i see you liking all the dumb memes about on twitter I'm enjoying the first two episodes, so I'm looking forward to uh to whatever else they got cooking up here. Because I didn't read the book, so word. Yeah, I'm House of the Dragons. Awesome. Uh, I am fully back on my Game of Thrones shit with that. So uh, I would also recommend anybody watch that. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's our pod for today. Hopefully, by the next time we record this. Um, the trade will have already happened. Good God, and, I hope. And we can just talk about it one last time and then move on with our lives. That'd be awesome. That is our show for today. Hope everybody has a great week. And I will see you, and Prez will also see you, on Friday.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.